0: Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I'm happy that we can begin a new year together, exploring scripture and faith. No matter what your background or current situation, I hope that you will find something of meaning for you here. This is the time of year that we focus on new beginnings. Although on January 1st, we're only a day older than on December 31st, not much has changed. There's always a sense of new possibilities when we hang a new calendar on the wall, at least for those of us who still use paper calendars. For those who have regrets for the past year, this is a chance for a possible do-over. So, here's your chance to get it right. Biblically, when we think of new possibilities and new creations, My thoughts go to the book of Revelation. So that's where I'll start today, at one of the last chapters of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, are crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away then he who sat on the throne said behold I make all things new and he said to me "Write, for these words are true and faithful and he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Here ends the reading. There's a lot to unpack here. Revelation is one of the most complex and controversial of all the books in the Bible. Martin Luther, the great reformer and biblical scholar, contended that the book should not even be included in the Bible. And he referenced the fact that Jesus is not mentioned by name in the entire book. Now, most of us would contend, however, that the references to the Lamb are symbolic references to Christ. In any case, I'm going to start with the most universal and broad meaning of this writing and move to a more specific meaning and how it applies directly to our lives and our behaviors. Now, you can't get more universal than talking about the creation of the universe. And that's what John, the writer of the book of Revelation, does. In the last book of the Bible, we are transported back to the beginning. Genesis and Revelation are biblical bookends The Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the earth. Now, the one sitting on the throne in John's vision says, Behold, I make all things new, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The science that deals with this universal theme of creation is called cosmology. There's pretty much total agreement. Among scientists, that in the beginning, everything came into existence through the Big Bang. The first images from the powerful new James Webb's telescope are just starting to come in. And through its images, scientists are trying to penetrate back through time and space to get a glimpse of the moment of creation, or as the late Stephen Hawking said, to know the mind of God. Some religious folk are offended by the attempt to view the moment of creation and by the audacity of even trying to know the mind of God. It all seems, well, sacrilegious. That's the type of talk that got people burned at the stake in pre-Enlightenment times. You couldn't know the mind of God. But in this case, it's the scientists who are speaking metaphorically. Stephen Hawking never supposed that he could know the mind of God in any literal sense. Putting aside our prejudices, however, the religious and the secular scientific views of creation are remarkably similar. Somehow, sometime, everything came out of no thing. However, However deeply, the James Webb Telescope and potentially even more sensitive instruments probe the depths of the universe. Science falls short of, and does not pretend to provide, the meaning or the why of creation. That only faith can provide. And that's exactly what Genesis and Revelation do. They answer, the why for both the original and new creations. God's creation, as told in Genesis, was for the benefit of humanity. Unfortunately, sin, suffering, and death became a part of that creation. So now in Revelation, we hear that God promises to redo creation once and for all, And once again, it is for the benefit of humanity, for you and me. And here's the kicker. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God is making all things new, to do away with suffering and death. Cosmologists are concerned not only with the ultimate beginnings, but also with ultimate endings. If the universe began with a bang, how will it end? T.S. Eliot in his poem Hollow Men said, This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang but a whimper. Scientists agree that the universe ending with a whimper is one of the possibilities. All the energy and matter in the universe will in billions and billions of years equally disperse through its, disperse itself through the infinite space and creation will wind down in a lightless, lifeless, eternal night. Alternatively, we may be headed toward another big bang and the whole process will start all over again. Either way, nothing as we know it will survive to the other side. Take solace in the fact that this will occur billions and billions of years from now after we've all turned to stardust ourselves. I grew up with a scientific mindset. I studied biology, which required some introduction to rudimentary physics, but the concept of the ultimate death of our universe, regardless of the inconceivably long time span, depressed me and kept me awake at night. Everything ends up as nothing. Searching for a way out of this depressing dilemma led me as as it doubtless has to countless people, and probably you at one point or another, it led me to seek out the consoling messages of faith and religion. The why. Through science we seek knowledge. Through faith we seek God and his comforting love. Jesus and his followers were concerned with the issue for them it was brought into focus by the impending death of jesus in the cross was this the end would everything that he had done and taught turn to naught jesus turns to an agricultural metaphor for reassurance and wisdom he says to them in john 12:23 to 26 when they're talking about his impending death the hour has come for the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor also. Here ends the reading. Because the spiritual life lies beyond the grasp of material language, it is always necessary to turn to metaphor and analogy just as Jesus did. Farmers plant their dried, lifeless seeds in the soil with the faith and the knowledge that those seeds will miraculously bring forth new life. The fields that lay fallow over the winter will once again burst forth with life. In fact, in spring, all nature bursts forth in a riot of blossoms and foliage that proclaim that death is not the end of life. It is a new beginning. It creates the possibility of a new and fresh beginning. Many religions and philosophies believe that through a certain Life path, another life, usually a better one, awaits humans after they leave this one. Thus, when humans die, they are not dead, but merely reborn to again to another cycle of life. In Buddhism, desire, hate, and ignorance are at the center of the circle, and humans are forever trying to circumvent them. The Buddhist wheel of life also represents two ascending and descending half-circles to re- represent that not everyone is able to overcome life's challenges. When this happens, one must begin again. And this concept is not completely exclusive from the Christian notion of being born again. Christians believe that before anyone can ascend to heaven, they must be born through Christ, made new. What is unique in the Christian message is that there is a is a continent, continuity between the old creation and the new creation. Paul explains it best in 1 Corinthians, where he writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then, what is brought to pass, the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, there is an important feature of new creation that we dare not overlook. It is this distinction that gives it power. That is, things are not just going to be made new. They're going to be made better. They're going to be made perfect. As Paul says, the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal put on immortality. So, as the Swahili phrase Hakuna Matata puts it, no worries, no problems, everything going to be all right. What I've been talking around the margins about is resurrection. The Christian's Easter faith. Now that we have heard about the new creation on the cosmic scale, it's time to talk about it on the human scale. What implications does eternal life have for our puny day-to-day existence? If we are a new creation, how do we live like it? Quite simply, To live a newly created life means to live our lives in Christ. Once again, I turn to Paul's preaching to the Corinthians, referring to himself and those to whom he worked with. He says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself, Be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, that's a lot again, but life takes on a whole new meaning when we realize that it extends into eternity. Life has purpose and meaning we no longer live for ourselves but for the one who died for us we live a new life in christ implicit is that in that is that we put the needs of others before our own we invite them to join us in the new creation paul introduces an important word righteousness what does it mean for you to be righteous Often using the word righteous to refer to a person has a negative connotation. Righteous people are full of themselves, the opposite of living for others. That's not righteousness, however. That is self-righteousness. The righteousness that we strive for means that we are right with God. We align ourselves in every way that we can with what God expects of us and what God created us for. The simplest major of that is by following what Jesus called the great commandment. Love your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. It's as simple and it is as difficult as that. But when we become a new creation, that is what we become and that is how we live. We're facing a new year. We're facing new possibilities. Let's start right now by recognizing that we are made new and constantly being made new. What will that mean for you and me this year? Well, we have an eternity to work on it, but let's start right now. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and continue to make you new every day and in every way. Amen.